Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. By any measure, New York City seems to be emerging from its deep COVID hole. Street life is coming back. People are back on mass transit in larger numbers. Traffic is back in a big way. And that light at the end of the tunnel is getting pretty big and bright. Boy, are we ever ready to get back to normal. I think everyone feels a little bit done with COVID, and that's a completely understandable emotion. Um, We've been through a lot in almost three years, and I think people are rightly fatigued. The sad part is that COVID's not done with us. This week on 880 In-Depth, a conversation with New York City's health commissioner on COVID and life beyond. We're looking at a future where we'll update the vaccines annually. We'll ask people to go get boosted and update their vaccines annually, just like we do with flu. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Michael Wallace. Ashwin Vasan has been on the job a little more than six months now. In our conversation this week, we speak to him on a wide array of topics, including concerns about this coming flu season, monkeypox, the city's mental health concerns, and disinformation about healthcare. But when he sat down for a discussion with our reporter, Peter Haskell, the conversation began on the topic of COVID-19. So it seems the COVID data looks pretty good right now compared to where we've been. What's your assessment right now? The COVID data is good compared to where we've been. Um, Since I took office in March, we've had a fairly sustained high level of transmission, um, you know, for the better part of six months. Um, and we've seen some fluctuations, some small waves and decreases since. But over the past um, six weeks in particular, almost eight weeks, we've seen a sustained decrease in overall transmission. We've seen hospitalizations and deaths remain low. And um, we've seen a very clear break between hospitalizations that um, are due to COVID and COVID-like illness, meaning uh, respiratory failure and and other complications, versus people who are hospitalized for other reasons and tested positive for COVID. So all of that is encouraging, and yet it's still here with us. You know, we are at, while our death rates, for instance, are lower than they have been, they are still at a level that would annualize total up to around the same amount as we lose to flu every year from a seasonal infection. And the question is really, um, how, what can we do to drive that number down further? And so we're very encouraged by the fact that we now have a new bivalent booster vaccine that is as of yesterday, also available to children five and older, but everyone five and older is now available for an updated version of the vaccine that will protect not only against the original 
COVID strains, but Omicron and all of its subvariants. So the time is now to whatever this virus throws at us in the coming weeks and months for everyone to go get vaccinated and so we can celebrate a safe and healthy and happy uh, festive season and winter. The vaccine uptake in the city was pretty good at the beginning, but that hasn't necessarily been the case with the booster. Uh, if I have the numbers correctly, 40% of all city residents have been boosted. So first, why is that? And second, how do we change it? Right. So 99% of New York City adults have had at least one dose. That is incredible. That is remarkable progress. Um, I believe over almost 90% of adults are fully vaccinated, about 88%. Um, and so, again, we're building on a base, a very strong baseline immunity from vaccination. The boosters previously were based on the original formulation of the vaccine. And the critique has been that people who were fully vaccinated or even fully vaccinated in their primary series and boosted have still gotten infected. And so that has led some members of the public in particular to say, well, these vaccines are no longer effective, which is why we're so excited that just like you would update your iPhone or update any technology for better features, that this vaccine has been updated with better features to cover Omicron, to cover its subvariants. And if it's widely adopted, it should renew that protection against even getting infection in the first place, let alone the sustained protection that we've seen from the vaccine against severe illness, hospitalization, and death. How concerned are you about the vaccine fatigue? Someone's got one shot or two or three or even four, and they just say, you know what, I'm done with this. I've had enough of these shots. Well, as I said, I've said previously, I think everyone feels a little bit done with COVID, and that's a completely understandable emotion. Um, we've been through a lot in almost three years, and I think people are rightly fatigued. The sad part is that COVID's not done with us, and so much like the flu or any endemic illness which we deal with, we have to update and renew our protection. We don't talk about flu fatigue. We just talk about getting your flu shot on an annual basis. And I think over time we're going to move to dealing with COVID uh, as a seasonal annual illness. We're not quite there yet, which is why we're still encouraging everyone to go get boosted now but we're looking at a future where we'll update the vaccines annually we'll ask people to go get boosted and update their vaccines annually just like we do with flu and if you fall into a potentially a higher risk group or you have coexisting conditions co-occurring conditions um, or a weakened immune system we might ask you to get uh, vaccinated more frequently but we're still learning. Remember, we're, COVID's not even three years old. And so we're, we have decades, if not more than a century of, of understanding of the flu. And, and so we're still, we're still relatively nascent in our understanding of this virus. But I think we're moving towards that um, more routinized schedule, which we're working on now. Before we turn to the flu, the CDC has warned that once winter is here, we could go back to a thousand deaths a day nationally. So two things. Does that seem right to you? And how do you think the city would fare? 
Well, in New York City, we have around 2,000 deaths from the flu every year. And we're approaching, if the current COVID numbers were stable throughout a year, we'd be about the same level of COVID-related uh, deaths. And so, you know, do we want to accept that? I think from a public health perspective, we're trying to prevent all preventable deaths and all preventable suffering. And so getting people vaccinated and boosted is, is really essential, which is why we're also saying when you go get your COVID booster, go get your flu shot as well. There is a real risk of this flu season being worse than years past because people are out and about more. People are reconnecting with their loved ones during the holiday season because we did see flu vaccination rates drop off during COVID because of routine health maintenance dropping off during COVID. And so there may be an increased susceptibility to more severe illness, to more infections during this uh, flu season, which is why we're pushing both. Um, we're making sure that New Yorkers know now is the time to get vaccinated for both to stay safe throughout this holiday season and into the winter. We want everyone to be able to celebrate, to have a wonderful holiday season with um, a peace of mind that they can get together with their loved ones. And this is our ticket. Getting boosted and getting our flu shots is our ticket to a safe winter. One concern from professionals in the health field all over the country is vaccine fatigue. Yes, COVID is somewhat behind us, but we still need that protection. We spoke to Dr. Vassen about that. You talk about getting a COVID shot, then getting the flu shot, but is there a concern that some people, because of this vaccine fatigue, might not get a flu shot? And we hear about, some people call it a twindemic with COVID and flu. How big a concern is that? I don't really like to use terms like that because all they do is stoke anxiety in people. But as I've said, we certainly are at risk for a worse flu season than normal and we remain at risk for ongoing COVID infections and I wouldn't be surprised if we see an uptick in transmission over the coming weeks and months as normal virus season and temperatures drop normal virus season comes into play which is why now is the time to get um, vaccinated and boosted COVID and flu together look vaccine fatigue is real vaccine hesitancy is real we've dealt with it for not only the several years of COVID, but we've been dealing with it for years and we have tried and true strategies to connect with people, to engage communities, to not, to ensure vaccine supply is readily available, to make sure it's accessible and free of charge. Um, so we, we will lean on those tried and true strategies to get people vaccinated. People need to know also that it's a better product. This booster delivers good return, good value good protection from COVID because it's been updated to account for the most current uh, variants and subvariants. The same is true for flu. We update the flu vaccine every single year to ensure that it's fit and protecting against the circulating uh, flu strains from that year. And so that's exactly the world we're in with COVID and which is why getting vaccinated and boosted today is not the same as getting vaccinated and boosted um, in December 2020 or in uh, 2021 because it's a it's an updated better more fit for purpose product for the moment we're in 
In the past, we've looked to Europe as a good indicator of what we could expect here. What are you seeing over there? We're certainly seeing in some pockets, like the UK, in pockets in Germany, we're seeing uh, transmission increase. Um, encouragingly, we're not seeing death rates increase dramatically because, again, these are societies with high rates of vaccination. Um, we're also tracking variants in places like Singapore, um, which are driving case increases. So we're always surveilling the world, and you're right. I mean, we've been historically about a month or sometimes two months behind uh, Europe, Western Europe, in terms of our uh, transmission levels, which is why now is exactly the time. Whatever comes, now's the time to go get boosted. Now's the time to go get your flu shot. Um, because whatever comes our way, this is going to be the best preparation. Do you, are, are there any new variants, potentially troubling new variants out on the horizon? Look, I think we are seeing variants appear as they will continue to appear that are able to evade the immune system and evade the original formulation of the vaccine over time, right? And every, every so often we see um, new variants pop up that are able to increasingly evade vaccination, which is again why this updated version of the booster is so important because we believe all of these uh, variants that were appearing are still um, lineages of Omicron. And this bivalent booster should cover all of the Omicron lineage and sub-lineages. So now is the time to, to go get that updated booster because exactly, there are still enough people uh, who have not been infected by COVID globally that allows this virus to encounter them and mutate and and evade our immune systems, which is why updated immunity on a regular basis is going to be crucial. One of the things we've heard about over the past couple of years is burnout among the healthcare workers. What's your take on, on what staffing is like these days? Is there is there a shortage? Our health workers um, are extremely, extremely um, under extreme stress and of course they have faced extreme burnout over the last two to three years they've been on the front lines of battling this pandemic and you know while i'm glad that at least in the early phases of the pandemic we recognize them by clapping i think a better recognition of them would be to support their health and mental health and well-being but the profession needs new recruits the profession needs to support the people that are in jobs we've seen attrition rates increase over the last couple of years and so whether it is improvements in benefits improvements in salaries um, improvements in training programs and pipelines and certainly creating a focus on health worker mental health and well-being these are all things we need to reckon with uh, in the coming weeks, months, and years in order to protect this most vital of workforces because we can't do it without them. And that goes for people working inside health facilities, 
It also goes for public health workers working in health departments around this, around the area and in this country who have been focused on prevention and really been the subject of intense scrutiny and um, a lot of vitriol. Um, so we, we need to protect our health workers up and down the chain. Um, they're a vital part of protecting our society and keeping us safe. I want to ask you about polio. There was one confirmed case in Rockland County. We hear some people who have been a vaccine hesitant in the past haven't wanted their kids to be vaccinated for polio. How much of a risk is that here in the city? Every case of polio is preventable and every case of polio is a tragedy especially when it results in paralysis um, this is real to me this has impacted my family in very real ways we've lost family members and I have family members who are disabled as a result of polio and we thought that these were viruses or a virus that we had relegated to the 20th century and to the mid 20th century at that um, and the fact that it's rearing its head once again here in New York and in other pockets in the world is a result of a really concerted anti-vaccine, anti-science movement aided and abetted by unfettered access to misinformation and disinformation through uh, social media. And so public health and, and government is really up against it. Um, we need better regulation. We need better oversight of social media. And we also need to fight back against this anti-science, uh, anti-vaccine movement, which has had such, um, frankly, brutal effects on our immunization campaigns, whether it's routine childhood immunizations uh, like polio or certainly COVID, um, COVID-related vaccines. Um, you know, we are, at the end of the day, the solutions to getting vaccination rates up are about the often invisible work of public health, which is based in community engagement, tailored communication with all stakeholders, following the data, and really going to the places where we see greatest risk and lowest vaccination uptake, and engaging schools and parents and community leaders and religious leaders and um, community stakeholders and um, pediatricians and really ensuring supply as well, that it's easily accessible and making sure that we're really reaching people. And the work that we've done in the last couple of months with polio, um, since the case in Rockland County was uh, reported, has led to a, an overall citywide increase in vaccination of 9%. And in our lowest zip codes, um, above 20%, uh, above 25%, in fact, in um, some of our lowest zip codes here in New York City. And so the boots on the ground, often invisible work of public health, is really based on meeting people where they are and bringing to them the information and the resources they need to make healthy decisions, which is what, what we're investing in. And on the topic of misinformation and disinformation, we wanted to know the impact on public health. Is there a declining trust in public health? Do people still trust public health? And if not, what's the impact? I don't think people know a lot about public health, to be perfectly honest. For many, COVID-19 was the first time they've encountered a health commissioner or a public health department in any real way. Um, 
and their conception of public health has been shaped by the news, by what they see um, on TV, and by um, the politicization, the rampant politicization of the COVID-19 pandemic by at the highest levels of society. So I think had the previous federal administration expressed confidence in public health, expressed confidence in science, believed expertise, allowed experts to lead the discourse, I think we'd be on a very, very different track in terms of trust in public health. Unfortunately, they questioned the very basics of this virus. They questioned the interventions. They promoted uh, quackery and, and frankly, unproven and, and um, you know, not evidence-based treatments and interventions. Uh, we see that has had incredible ripple effects up and down the chain of our federated public health system. So states have been left to their own devices to develop their own strategies. Um, we've seen red states and blue states and purple states have their own different heterogeneous COVID policies. And that's all a result of the failure in federal leadership from the previous administration. Now, I'm encouraged, of course, that since President Biden has been in office, he's tried and his administration has been uh, great in trying to work backwards. But they opened Pandora's box under the previous president, and we've, we've all been left in a state of um, really allowing for misinformation and anti-science uh, you know, messaging to run rampant around our society. And, and public health officials are, are uh, certainly, um, you know, have become the face of that in terms of attacks. And, and so we need to have a really open and public conversation about what prevention is, what public health is, what do we believe in, what do we want to promote as a society, uh, how can we live and build a society in which people can live longer and healthier lives. Um, life expectancy is falling in the United States. Um, and in New York City, which is not immune to to the same trends. It's happening um, in the midst of this broader crumbling of trust in public institutions. And so I think we're at a reckoning as a society. Public health is not immune to that. And what we can do in the meantime is just continue to engage with people, deliver science-based messaging, deliver that with empathy, deliver that in ways that are culturally competent, bring resources and services to where people need it the most, continue to focus on equity and centering on people who have, who have a lot of reason to mistrust, um, have been disserved by public institutions in the past, and just keep going after it. But this is going to require really broad-scale political leadership. Last question. Looking at the big picture, what's your greatest concern right now? Well, you know, one of the main issues I came to work on in this administration and came to city government to tackle was mental health. And and I'm certainly concerned about the mental health and well-being of our city coming out of COVID and its impact in particular on three major issues and populations, which is the mental health of our children and youth and families the mental health and wellness, well-being of people living with more serious and severe forms of mental illness, which is splashed throughout our papers 
and talked about mainly in public safety terms, but these are, you know, these are human beings in need of care and support and our rising overdose crisis, which, um, as I've said before, 2020 was the highest year on record. We expect that to be superseded by 2021. And, um, you know, at its core, there are real mental health issues underneath our addiction crisis as well. And so we've got to get a hold of these issues. I talked about falling life expectancy. Well, it's mental health is a major driver of, of that falling life expectancy. In addition to COVID and in addition to other, other drivers, overdoses in particular are contributing heavily to our falling life expectancy. And so that's certainly a priority of mine. We will continue to respond to chronic issues, to current, to current urgent infectious issues, to whatever emergencies and um, issues pop up. I'm committed to strengthening um, the role of public health in this city, and this administration is a is truly a public health administration. But you know, we we really want to center mental health in um, our public policy and our public health work. Because we know that people's well-being is is going to be central to their ability to live their healthiest and best lives, and that mental health is health. Commissioner, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. I appreciate you so much. Our thanks to Ashwin Vossen, Health Commissioner for the City of New York. That's 880 In-Depth for this week. The executive producers are Tim Scheld and Peter Haskell. I'm Michael Wallace. Thank you for listening. swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 